0: So I'm going to invite you to open with me to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and I want to begin this morning by telling you a little story. This is a, a true story, and I can tell it now because I believe the statutes of limitations have run out, so I cannot be held responsible for this, but over 10 years ago, because I think that's the statute of limitations, right? So over 10 years ago, uh, I was uh, leading our youth um, to youth camp, and we were in the mountains, uh, North Carolina and uh, Ducktown, Tennessee. I think Miss Linus might have been on this trip as well, but there was a certain place where I was driving the church van in the mountains at nighttime, and uh, we were coming back from a long day of being with youth, which is just a long day. And so we're coming back, and I was, you know, of course, youth. Um, They're really good at uh, keeping you awake and sleeping when you're driving. Um, And then when it's time to go to bed, they're, they're wide awake. But in that moment, they were sleeping, they were worn out, and I was worn out. So I was starting to get a little worn out as I was driving in the mountains. So I was thinking, I cannot fall asleep. This would not be a good time for me to fall asleep. So I thought, well, let me roll down the window and get some cold air coming in. That might help. And of course, so I did this, which you know, not this, but this, so I go to try to roll in the window, and my hand slipped, and of course, in that time, it, it was a good idea, somebody thought it was a good idea, um, for the light switch to work like this, you pulled it out, and you, so all of a sudden, my hand slipped, and I hit the light, and turned off, as we're driving through the mountains, the lights are off, uh, I think I might have woke some people up in the van, when I went, ah! And uh, I'm reaching and I was able to find the light, turn it back on. And um, needless to say, I did not need to roll in the window anymore because I was then wide awake. And uh, everything from that standpoint, uh, for the rest of the trip, I was wide awake. But I tell you, you don't understand your need for light until you don't have it. Then you understand how much you you need it, how how much you have to, to have it. So what we want to do this morning, we want to welcome you to week eight of a series where we are, excuse me, week three of an eight-week series um, called I Am. We are walking through these amazing statements of Christ found in the gospel of John where Jesus uses the personal name for God, I Am, and then he attaches an idea to it that points us to him as the fact that he is God. God. I am the bread of life, as we saw last week. I am the light of the world, where we're going to be today. I am the the door. I am the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. As I said last week, my prayer in this series is that we would, through our time together, behold the glory of God and the face of Christ and be forever transformed by what we see. So behold God's glory in Jesus' face and be forever transformed. Transformed, And this morning we come to this picture of Jesus as the light of the world. It's not a coincidence that the first time the universe heard the uttered words of God. So the first time the universe heard the uttered words of God, the message was not let there be peace, let there be joy. No, it wasn't even let there be love the first message that the universe heard God speak was, let there be light. Let there be light. God always begins, hear this, by turning the lights on. Whether it be in the world or whether it be in our hearts. For think about this, life requires light and faith, spiritual life, requires God's light to shine in our hearts. Yet, unfortunately, we cannot deny that we live in dark times. Maybe our world is not as dark as it could be, but it is still darkened by the consequences and wages of sin. Just think about this. Our world is darkened by immorality, idolatry, spiritual apathy, moral relativism, racism, pornography, false prophets, watered-down preaching, hypocrisy, unbridled consumerism, Um, ...materialism, religious extremism, terrorism, um, discord, division, strife, hatred, unforgiveness, violence, jealousy, anger, intolerance, unbelief. Did I miss a few? I'm sure I did. That shows how bad it is. I'm sure I I missed some. And while we cannot deny the the canopy of darkness that, that rests over us in our current day and age... There must, there there has to be something that we hope in. There has to be something that we can hope for. There must be a light to shine in our darkness. And thankfully, Jesus comes to us in our text this morning as light. Not just light for a time and not just light for a certain place. He comes to us as the eternal light of the world. He is the light of the world. Or to to put it in the words of, of Pastor John Piper, I love this. He says, Jesus being the light of the world means the world has no other light than him. If there is going to be light for the world, it will be Jesus. Let me say that again. If there is going to be light for the world, it is going to be Jesus. It means that all the world and everyone in it needs Jesus as their light. It means that the world was made for light. This is not a foreign light. This is the light of the owner of the world. This is the light that we're talking about. The, the owner of the world is, is telling us that he is the light of the world that he created. So we want to press into him today. And it's kind of weird. We began this series in John 8 a few weeks ago. And now we come back to John 8, at the beginning um, verse 12. So I'm going to ask you as we honor God's word today that you, if you can, that you stand with me and we're going to read John eight twelve through 14 together and then unpack this picture of Jesus as the light of um, the world. So let's, let's read beginning at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I came from or where I am going. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you today, come before your word, and we know, God, that your word is life. Your word is living, it is powerful, God. Your word is revealing you, God, to us, and we don't want to miss this today. God, we live in a dark world, but yet there is light, there is hope, God, and we want today to be encouraged and reminded, God, where our hope is. We want to be reminded today, God, what the light does to this world and to those within um, this world, what light does. God, remind us today, God, just the, the powerful effects of light in our world, in our very souls. Remind us, God. and Lord, just encourage your people like never before, God, to run from darkness and to run into your glorious light. God, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So just just think about this amazing Claim of Jesus as the light of the world, um, as He's in the temple during the Feast of Weeks, and maybe we don't understand what the Feast of Weeks is, but it was a time where Israel would come together and they would celebrate that God had led them, among other things, that God had led them in the wilderness um, forty years by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And one of the ways they would remember is they would light candles in the the court of women in their their temple, and um, it would just set the the temple a uh, ablaze with, with light, but it was, it was a reminder to them of God's guidance. It was a reminder to them of God's protection. It was a reminder of them of God's presence, that God was with them. Yet strangely enough, when we get here in John 8, those who are being exposed by this light immediately begin to fight against it. It's a picture of our world. The second that light begins to expose darkness, darkness will try to fight against that lie. So in the middle of this amazing declaration by Jesus that he's the light of the world, the Pharisees immediately begin to say, you're testifying against or about yourself and what you are saying is not true. And Jesus says, no, um, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going and you don't know either. You don't know either of those. So think about this. What's really happening here? What's happening when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and the Pharisee says, no, you're not. You're lying. What is going on here? And I love what Pastor uh, Matt Chandler says. He says, maybe the best way to unpack what Jesus is saying is to think about Genesis chapter 1. Here's what happens in Genesis 1. The Bible says the state of the universe looked like this. It is formless, it is dark, it is void. Then in Genesis 1, verse 3, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters and God says, let there be light. It's formless, dark, and void, and the God of the universe says, let there be light, and from that sentence, what was formless began to have form. What was void began to be filled with light, and darkness was put on its hills by light. This process of what Formless being formed of what is void, having life and what is dark, um, being exposed by the light was God's way of beginning to interact with his creation. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is making some claims that were very unacceptable for those who were listening to him. This was a a massive threat to their existence because Jesus was saying, I am God. They didn't miss that. They understood what he was saying. And so when Jesus says, you say that my testimony is false, but I know where I came from, what he's saying is this, I was there. I was there when light began to, to be. I was there. He is the word made flesh. So think about this. When God says, let there be light, who is the active force behind Creation And the answer is, Jesus is. Jesus is the active force behind creation. And in this moment of, of challenge, when he's being challenged by those that he ultimately sustains, Jesus says this, I know where I came from, and I know where everything is headed. Think about that. Jesus says, I, I know where I came from, and I know where everything is headed, And you might be asking, well, where is everything headed? And I'm glad you asked. Because in Revelation chapter 22, let me tell you where everything is headed. Revelation 22 says, on that day, they will no longer need the sun or the moon for the glory of God will be their light. That's where everything is headed. So there is coming a day where there will be no more need for a sun because seeing Christ Face to face will illuminate our lives better than the sun illuminates it now. There is coming a day where there will be no need for any other reflecting light like the moon because we will reflect the glory of God in the face of Christ. No more need for it because we will have Jesus forever and ever and ever. So Jesus is making this bold claim. And the words of Chandler that I alone take what is formless and bring it form. I alone take what is void and lifeless and I give it life. And I alone take what is dark and I expose it or bring it to, to light. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that picture. And from that picture, I want to this morning unpack three ultimate and amazing truths concerning the one who is our light. Our hope, our declaration to the dark world around us. So three truths today we want to unpack from this statement that Jesus is the light of the, the world. So the first is this Jesus takes what is formless and he makes it gloriously formed. He takes what is formless and he makes it gloriously formed. Just think about, just think about a formless world. Genesis 1, we have this picture. The world was without form. Just think about that. And then think about a world that is formed and that has order, which speaks of God's design and which speaks of God's purpose. And it's amazing when we think about humanity's quest to try to understand their own existence, to find their purpose. The questions that seem to be on the heart of man are this. Where did I come from and why am I here? Where did I come from and why am I here? And it's strange to think about our world. For when light and life came to our world in the person of Jesus Christ, our world rejected that life and rejected that light. And in fact, our world hung that light upon the cross, not understanding that as they hung that light on the cross, it made it more possible for that light to shine everywhere. They miss that beautiful picture. But just follow with me here. Instead of our world receiving light as it came to this earth, now our world is on an exhaustive hunt looking for life and light everywhere, including the galaxies all around us. A few weeks ago, our world lost its mind because NASA came out and said, there's galaxies out there. And our world says, there's got to be life. There's got to be life. And here's what happens. When our world rejects life in the form of Jesus, we have to look everywhere else for it. We have to look everywhere else for life. We have to look. We have to turn over Everything. And this is the pursuit of the world that we're living in. They're looking everywhere for life and for light instead of looking to Jesus. Think about this. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, amazing question, which says this, what is the chief end of man? And it answers the question by saying this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So if you want to know what your purpose is, your purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of your life. That's the purpose of my life. The purpose that we are to order our lives around. We glorify God. We do so by enjoying him forever and ever and ever. And let me just add a quick thought to that pastor in many days gone by Jonathan Edwards said this God's glory and man's happiness are not at odds with one another far from it to the two ideally work hand in hand and let me just say what I mean by that we have been convinced by the enemy that we either have to choose between God being glorified in our lives or between us being happy in our lives and we have been led to believe that those two can't go in hand in hand, which means that we either have to choose between God being glorified in our lives, which means we're going to be miserable, or we have to choose between us being happy in our lives and God's going to be miserable because we're not going to be obeying Him. So we, we, the enemy has convinced us of that. And let me tell you what has happened because the enemy convinces us of that is that we are forced to make a choice. And some people, maybe even many people, are choosing their own happiness over the glory of God. And it goes like this, well, I'm forgiven anyway. I know I'm saved, God will forgive me, but I have to choose me here. Instead of realizing our greatest happiness, our greatest fulfillment, our greatest pleasure in this life is found in God being glorified in our lives. And as he is glorified in our lives, let me just say this. There is so much in my life that I, that I can't even begin to say how, how, how I regret, how I wish would not have happened, how I wish I could change if I could go back. But there are some things. That, let, me, let me say one thing that I, I can say without a doubt. I'm so thankful I can't take back. is that day that I had an encounter with Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And every, every day that I walk in that and walk in his will and walk in relationship with him, let me tell you what happens. Purpose happens. And, and happiness happens and fulfillment happens. In fact, let me just say this. Oh, that we would see that finding life in Christ is the death of boredom. If you want to make sure boredom dies, seek Christ. Follow Christ because there's nothing boring about following Christ. So, finding life in Christ is the death of boredom. And and because our, our chief aim is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever, it gives purpose to everything we do. It gives purpose to our individual lives. It gives purpose to our family lives. It gives purpose to our work lives. It even gives purpose to our free time, that we're glorifying God, and we're enjoying Him now, and we know that we will enjoy Him forever. So when we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, what we're saying is this, that outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are outside of what God designed us to be and what God designed us to do. And therefore, we are not fulfilling what God made us to do, which is to glorify God. And in a real sense, because of that, we are unmade and we are unformed. Yet when we come to Christ as the light of the world, he begins to form us. And he begins to reorder our lives, get this, around him. And everything begins to change. So Jesus takes what is formless and makes it gloriously formed or formed for his glory. Secondly, Jesus takes what is lifeless and marks it with endless life or eternal life life. And think about, just think about an earth that is void. According to Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was void. An earth that is lifeless. And then follow me here. Now think about the void and lifelessness that exists in so many people that you know. We don't have to look far to find people that have a void in their lives and have lifelessness in in their lives. In fact, Blaise Pascal, a famous French mathematician and philosopher, put it this way. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ christ there's a, there's a god-shaped hole in all of our lives and the only way that that hole can be filled get this is by god not by by us if we try to stuff anything but god in that god-shaped hole in our lives we will end up dissatisfied we'll end up restless we'll end up discontent we'll end up miserable and ultimately we'll end up without life It won't matter what you've accomplished in this life if Christ is not your life. It it will not matter. There's only one way to fill the void in your life and my life, and it is Jesus. And did you know that sometimes, and I thought about this this week, sometimes I think that we forget what life was like without Jesus. You ever thought about that? that? Sometimes we just forget what our life was like without Jesus. We forget how... According to Ephesians 2, we were without hope in this world. We were in darkness. We were dead in trespasses and sins. I think sometimes we forget how great of a treasure we have in him. We forget that he makes everything worthwhile. Let me just go in a quick different direction here, but kind of the same direction. In 2005, which seems a long time ago, doesn't it? 60 Minutes correspondent Steve Croft sat down for an interview with New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady after he had won um, his third Super Bowl ring. Now he's on five, but um, at, at that point he had won three. If you don't like the New England um, Patriots, I am sorry, but this is a good really illustration here, so you just have to bear it for the next few minutes. But let me just share one part of this conversation. When Croft asked Tom Brady, the effect that winning three Super Bowls had on him, listen to what he said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, has got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Just think about that. Just stop and think about who we're talking about here. Tom Brady has now won five Super Bowl rings um, with the with New England Patriots. He is married to a supermodel. He has made over $50 million in his career. He might go down, i say might go down, as the greatest quarterback to ever play um, the game of Football. He will definitely have a statue in his honor outside of Gillette Stadium one day once he retires. And think about this: none of those things are true of us. I look at the women out here, and I see the men you're sitting beside. You're not married to supermodels, <laughs> ladies. You're, ladies, you're not married to supermodels. I see. I see your husbands. You're not married to supermodels. I mean, there, there. None of none of us. None of us are going to have. Our place of employment build a statue for us one day once we retire outside of that. I mean, I'll be good if there's a one day there is a the Micah Strickland urinal somewhere in our church. I mean, I'll be I'll be good if, if, if that's the best that that happens. But think about this. None of us have those things in in that way. But this is where Tom Brady serves us. And what I mean by that is this, he has the American dream in his hands and he says, God, it's got to be more than this. There's got to be more. This can't be all that there is. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Therefore, only what is eternal can fill the gap of eternity in your heart and my heart without the light of life we will always be left to say there's got to be more than this yet when we truly know the light of life we come to realize that nothing is better than this when we come to know him we realize that nothing is better when you know jesus you will never say there's got to be something better than him for when you truly know him you realize there is nothing better than him So Jesus takes what is lifeless and he marks it with endless, eternal, abundant, purposeful life. So see this picture. Jesus takes what is formless and he makes it formed. He takes what is lifeless and he brings and breathes life into it. And then third, Jesus takes what is in darkness and he manifests marvelous light. He takes what is in darkness and he manifests marvelous light. Light. So Genesis 1 says darkness was over the face of the deep. And yet Jesus says in John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are what the Bible calls in the domain of darkness. When we come to Christ, Colossians said that we are transformed transferred, excuse me, out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Or another way to put it is when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are taken out of darkness and we are brought into marvelous light. We are brought into His light. And if you are here this morning and you're not a believer, just let me say this. The Bible says that you are spiritually blind and that you are walking in darkness. You can see some things, but you cannot see what is ultimate. You cannot see what is what is eternal. It's like walking in a familiar area in darkness. Even though you're familiar with the layout, it's still dangerous. Have any of you ever gotten up in the middle of the night in total darkness in your room and you know the layout of your room, yet somehow along the way, you still managed to stub your toe in a way that made you shout hallelujah? Or not hallelujah. I don't know what you're shouting, but how many of us have stubbed our toe along the way of darkness in our own familiar rooms? Anybody? I I think about a time where I was up and I hit the bed and then I, I fell over and hit the wall and Misty sat up and I thought the words that were about to come out of her mouth were, Are you okay? And instead, she said, would you be quiet? You're going to wake somebody up. And I was just like, but I think I broke my toe. But in that moment, it did not matter. But just, just, like, just follow with me here. Even in a place that we're familiar with, if there is total darkness, we're in danger. And let me just go and say, say something a step further. No matter how familiar someone is with their lostness, they're still lost. And they're still in darkness. And the unfortunate part is there are, there are so many people in our world that continue to walk in darkness, refusing to admit that they don't know the way. And let me unpack real quick two truths that come from John 8 and verse 12 and, and closing. Two truths. One is for the unbeliever and one is for the believer. Two things that we see in Jesus' audience here in John chapter 8. First is the the level of unbelief that is, is found or has built up in the lives of the Pharisees and the lives of the crowd. Right after Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees immediately begin to try to catch Jesus in a contradiction. So they say, You're bearing witness about yourself, which means that you must be lying. And of course, this comes from John 5.31, where Jesus Himself said, If I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So they're just they're trying to use Jesus' own words to contradict him. And of course, what Jesus meant in John 5.31 was, if my testimony only comes from me, and if my testimony is disconnected from my Father in any way whatsoever, then my testimony is false. Thankfully, Jesus never said anything that was disconnected from his father. But here's the thing. In that moment, context didn't matter to the Pharisees. They could care less about context. All they cared about was trying to catch Jesus in a contradiction. John Piper put it this way. I love this uh, example. He says, here's the picture of what's happening. Think of me having a conversation with someone not from America, and we are discussing what we call flashlights. And this person says, in my country, we call them torches. And of course, I say, well, I've never used the word torch. I call it a flashlight. So then think about this. The next day, I find that same person lost in a totally dark and dangerous alley. So I run up to them, and remembering our conversation from the day before, I say, here is a torch. Use this to... Free yourself from this terrible situation. And then imagine that person looking at me saying, you said you never used the word torch. You're a liar. And I'm not going to believe you. Just imagine that scenario. I mean, what, what should I say? Should I say, well, I was really trying to speak in a way that you would understand. I was really trying to speak in a way that I thought would grip your heart. What, what, what would you say in that moment? But if that person were like the Pharisees, that person would say this, there's no torch here and you're a liar. That is what unbelief does. When someone says, I don't believe in Jesus, there there are two great statements or even questions that we should ask of them. So whenever you find yourself in a conversation with somebody who just says, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Two things to, to try to flesh out here. Number one, you need to say to them, that's such an amazing conclusion that you have come up with. It must mean that you have studied the word of God over and over and over again to find that conclusion. Because this world is filled with other people who have studied the word of God um, endlessly and tirelessly, and they have come... the, the the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. So for you to overturn that, it must mean that you have spent an incredible amount of time just flowing through the Word of God to come to that conclusion. That's a, a pretty weighty thing to say to someone who chances are have, has never even opened the Bible. So just think about that. And then the second thing to ask is this. Somebody says, I'm... I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, ask him this question. Are you willing? For in John 7, 17, Jesus said, if anyone wills to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching of God, or whether the teaching is from God, or whether I am speaking of my own authority. When you're talking to someone who says, I don't believe Jesus is the son of God, ask them, but are you willing? Are you willing to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Would you be willing to receive Jesus for who he himself claims and shows himself to be? And unfortunately, the Pharisees and many unbelievers in our world would say, No, I'm not willing. I'm not willing. But what if Jesus showed his authority by dying and rising from the dead? Are you willing? No. No, I'm not willing. And this is the world that we live in. Think about this. Why? Because unbelief traps people in darkness. Listen to that. Unbelief traps people in their darkness. If you are in this room today and you are, if you're an unbeliever and in this moment you feel like you're being talked to, understand that this is a moment of light for you. This is a moment where light is shining into the darkness of your hearts and light is trying to pervade and light is trying to spread through every being of your heart and you have a choice. You have a choice. You can either let that light do its work and shine its way through your heart or you can shut the door. You you have have a choice, but oh, that you would let the light shine. Oh, that you would let it shine. And then let me say this to believers. Believers. For we also have a tendency to be trapped in a delusion. And that delusion is that we have a tendency to believe that you and I can somehow hide from God. We believe that we can come to church and we can play this game. and As long as we show up here, it doesn't matter what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. As long as we can hide it from everybody else, that we're, we're okay and we have this, this tendency Yet, please hear this today, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is light, get this, we can't hide anything from him. We can't hide. Nothing can be hidden from him. We have no secrets. If you are a believer here this morning and you think you are hiding in the shadows, know that Jesus is willing and able to graciously expose you. In fact, think about what happens right before Jesus makes this declaration that we read about in John chapter 8. Right before this story, a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery is drugged to Jesus by the Pharisees. They were bringing her to Jesus, and of course, they're bringing her to Jesus. They're using her in order to trap him. Let me just say this. I praise God for the wickedness of the Pharisees. Because if it wasn't for their wickedness and trying to trap Jesus, they would have killed this woman. But because of their wicked hearts, because of their unbelief, because they were dead set to try to trap Jesus, they bring this woman who was caught in the act and they bring her, get this, to light. They bring her to glorious light. And just think about this. She is caught in her sin. She is busted. Do you see the grace in this? This is not a woman who just one day woke up and said, I'm tired of doing what I do. I'm tired of this. Let me pursue this Savior and see who he is. That's not what happened with this woman. This woman continued in her lifestyle, and she got busted. And because she got busted, and in, her, in, in this picture of her getting caught, she is brought to Jesus, and her darkened heart is exposed to light. And Jesus ends this conversation Look at this in verse 10 of chapter 8. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus, or she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Don't miss the mercy of God in Christ here today, brothers and sisters. He is the light of the world, and he is exposing darkness. And if you are a believer in this room this morning, and if you are walking in darkness, understand this. It's going to end in one of three ways. So if you are walking in darkness, one of three ways this is going to end. Number one, still being influenced by the Spirit of God, you are going to be brought to a place of repentance and confession, and you're going to see the off-ramp of your darkness, and you're going to get off, and you're going to run to Jesus. You're going to run to the light. That, that's one way. A second way is that Christ in His grace is going to expose you. You're going to get busted. And in getting busted, it's going to be embarrassing, It's going to be humbling, but it's going to be a gracious thing because you're going to understand God's grace in busting you so that he can expose you and forgive you. But then the third way this is going to end is the hardest way, and that God will just simply turn you over to your sin to be destroyed by it. My role today is not to judge you, but to lay before you all that Jesus is as the light of the world. And in doing that, my hope is that the grace of God, by the grace of God, you would begin to sense the feeling of if you are unformed, if you are devoid of life, if you are walking in darkness, that you would begin to sense that. And in sensing that by the work of the Holy Spirit, you would run to the light of the world. You would run to him run to the one who has triumphed gloriously over darkness run to him who is shining on you in this moment don't be content with darkness because let me tell you what happens if we are content with darkness let me show you one more verse on the screen it is john chapter 12 where jesus says this jesus said to them the light is among you for a little while longer walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. But, but hear this. When Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Light is the active power that dispels Darkness. Light cannot be overcome by darkness. Let me just say this. You will never, I will never, you will never open up the front door of your house and darkness will just find its way in. No, that's not how it happens. You and I open the front door of our house and light finds its way out. That is the picture of what light does in our lives. So let me beg you today, unbeliever, believer, wherever you are, um, wherever you are in this journey, let the light in and let the light shine. Jesus is the light of truth that dispels the darkness of falsehood. Jesus is the light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Jesus is the light of holiness that dispels the darkness of impurity. Jesus is the light of joy that dispels the darkness of sorrow. And Jesus is the light of life that dispels the darkness of death. Regardless of where you are this morning, do not stay in darkness. Run to the light. He is a marvelous, glorious light. Oh, we praise God for the light. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to enter in this time of invitation and invocation that we ask that if, God is speaking to your heart that you do whatever he is asking you to do. If it is to seek him at the altar, that you do that. If it's to um, come and to be prayed over, that you do that. If it's to come and be a part of this faith family, that you do that. Or if it's that you are lost and you need to run to light, that you do that today. So let's pray together as Brother Frank and musicians come forward. Father, we praise your name. We thank you for our Savior God-man, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the incarnate one who came to this, this world as the light of the world. Not just the light of the Jews, not just the light of the Gentiles, but the light for the entire world. The only light we will ever find is in him. And everything outside of him will be forever in darkness. Therefore today we are asking God wherever we are in this journey that we would run to the light. There are some in this room that are in darkness, or maybe we'll be in this room, that are in darkness and that are in unbelief. And we pray, we're asking today, God, that you, by your Spirit, would shake them up and bring them from darkness, bring them today into marvelous light. God, we pray for believers in this room today, God, that that are skirting um, in darkness, that are hiding in darkness, maybe even even hiding in plain view, God, that today you you would, by your Spirit, By your spirit, God, work in them. Show them the off-ramp, God. And help them, Lord, just to confess and to repent, God, to you. Lord, help us, God, to run to the light. And we thank you that we have light to run to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.